This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul Weimer. Oh. <laughs> Hi, I'm Julie from A Good Story is Hard to Find. I am Misa. <laughs> you brought that all the way from New Zealand and Australia. <laughs> <laughs> a very strange cold that makes you sound like a, uh, a Bavarian or. Uh, it's uh, kind of leftover from Dracula, I feel like. <laughs> uh, wait, Peter Laurie is not in Dracula. He should oh, be right. in Dracula. But yeah. Oh, got Dracula. it. Sorry, that you're right. His, that was his Peter Laurie, not his Renfield. I was thinking yeah. of Igor, actually, so I, ha- I was completely wrong on all of it. That is a wonderful Peter Laurie now that I know who it is. It was great. <laughs> I, 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 I used to do Peter Laurie impressions on the other podcasts I'm a major fan person on when we were doing skits i would do peter laurie character so this is this is kind of like oh it's peter laurie in the movie yay (laughs) and and in the audiobook i mean i mean the guy sounds is definitely doing a peter laurie impression in the audiobook oh yeah Yeah. but we should probably tell this is what we're actually talking about yeah we didn't mention that yet that's crazy mention okay we are talking about a novel called The Maltese Falcon, first published in 1929 in a magazine. Uh, I think it was Argosy? No. no. Black something? Black, oh, The Black, Black Mask. Mask. Black Mask, yeah, of course. They did a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's not the first story by uh, Spade, but it's the... Or no, starring Spade, but it's uh, maybe the most famous. Um, I think The Dane Curse is before this, and... Oh, that's uh, not the Continental Op. That's okay. Um, you know, I I, I don't think uh, this is the first time I've read anything of novel length. I think at oh, least uh, okay. unabridged. I've seen movies, of course, and um, I got to revisit the 1941 classic adaptation. Mm-hmm, but that's not where so. I ended my explorations. <laughs> what? I'm shocked. <laughs> this is why I have to take notes, Julie. <laughs> So the very last adaptation, I uh, a video adaptation I watched was uh, Star Trek: Next Generation episode, a uh, season one episode eleven. The big goodbye. The, the big goodbye. Big goodbye, of course. And it has um, uh, a fake Peter Lorre, uh named oh. uh, in the movie or in the in the holodeck, he's named um, Mr. Leech. <laughs> Can I shoot him now, Cyrus? <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, um, uh, really great uh, character actor, uh, I think Lawrence Tierney playing Cyrus yeah. Redblock. Um, and obviously, I didn't think of this at the time, but why is he named Cyrus Redblock? Because it's it sounds like Sydney Greenstreet, right? Oh, right. Because nobody remembers the oh, the name right. of the <laughs> Guzman Guzman or whatever. Uh, Gutman. 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 Yeah, because he's the fat man, so Gutman. The names in this are so on the nose, it's like Mm -hmm. crazy, right? Uh, And uh, Bridget, what's her name? O'Shaughnessy? Yes. Yeah, that's probably not a real name, right? (laughs) It's the name we settle on. I think she has a name. Yeah. Yeah. So there was that. Um, <laughs> and I, I want to talk about that because I, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, their adaptation of the Maltese Falcon, it's 
barely an adaptation, but it is actually an adaptation, just very farly adapted. Um, there's uh, a 1975 sequel to the 1941 movie. Did you guys watch that? I didn't get to see it. I, I, I did not even heard of it till you told us about it. Yeah, it's called The Blackbird. Um, oh, right. Is right. it good? No, it's terrible. Oh, <laughs> but I watched. Why am it I not surprised? You. Yeah, it, it, uh, that's what people were saying. However, I, I, I must point out that it actually is a sequel, um, and I mean it's a comedic sequel, and it's not a good comedic sequel. But uh, two of the actors who are in uh, the original Maltese Falcon are in this movie playing themselves or playing their characters from the original movie, and you, you recognize one of them almost right away. It's um, the boy. <laughs> oh. oh, Wilmer. 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 Wilmer shows up, and um, he's not dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he died in the novel, right? No, he did more killing. Yeah. He, he, mm-hmm. he, yeah, he, yeah, he, right. he, he, because he kills Gutman in the novel, yeah. but not in the movie. Right. So um, he shows up, That uh, the actor who everybody recognizes probably from every episode of The Twilight Zone. <laughs> Did you recognize him? He's so young in the in the 1941 movie. No. Yeah, it's like, why do I know this guy? And yeah, this, I did a little googling. Oh, okay, that's why I know him. I, I, like, I don't recognize his name, but yeah, he's in every episode of Twilight Zone virtually, right? And he's always like stymied by whatever Twilight Zone he's walked into. Um, and uh, so in the 1975 movie, the sequel, The Blackbird. Um, it, it's it's like one of those movies that shouldn't have been made because it's just really bad. But um, there's a nice reveal about halfway through the film, and I, I didn't recognize it. Uh, so it's worth saying. Effie, the actress who plays Effie, plays Effie right. in the film, but you don't recognize her because she's, you know, uh, right. was that 30 years later, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um and she's playing a much different version of herself. She's really angry and uh, sexual, and uh, <laughs> uh, it's very—it's kind of funny. And then you find out that oh, uh, that's who she is, um, and that the main character is Sam Spade Jr. That's her son. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! And their their relationship is bad because his mom is his secretary. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, it's kind of worth watching just for um, <laughs> kicks, but it's not a good movie in any respect. Although you do get to see the opening credit sequence of um, the Maltese Falcon and the closing credit sequence of the Maltese Falcon with with the black bird, right, in color. Oh, right. So they reproduce that scene with you know the credits on the screen and the yeah. rolling up or rolling down or mm-hmm. fading in very beautifully um, in color, and you get a you get to see the bird, uh, not just in sil- on the silver screen, gray and white and black, but in black <laughs> on a green background. So right. it's, it's kind of worth looking at, green but it's for not money, a good movie I, at all. I also watched a terrible movie called uh, Satan. What's it called? Satan met a lady, 1936 adaptation prior oh, right. to the 1941 uh, greatness. Yeah. Uh, I hope nobody else had to watch it. <laughs> I, I heard it was no, bad and I stayed it, away. It, it was barely recognizable as, like, literally, I was like, how would anyone know that this was an adaptation of the Maltese Falcon? Because it's not a, 
uh, statuette of a bird. It's a horn they're chasing after. And it's almost all sexual innuendo, which, I mean, we get a little bit of that in the, in the book and in, in the movie adaptation, but um, it's just, it's it's a nutso film. Uh, uh, Pre-code, Hayes Code, I guess, so oh, right. uh, bu- busy doing all sorts of stuff and just badly put together. Um, there is an earlier adaptation, but I couldn't find it. I looked hard, but I couldn't find a 1931 version, two years after the... Uh, novel came out and then uh, I got to hear the BBC Saturday Night Theatre one um, mm-hmm. someone else here listened to that right I listened to uh, half of it okay uh, I think it was very good what, you it was didn't... excellent I only stopped listening because I ran out of time I'm going to okay. finish yeah I think it's I think it's very very good um, yeah it's not as good as the 41 movie but that's pretty high standard yeah, yeah, John Houston poured himself into that one. Mm, it's good. Well, you know what he really didn't do that I think makes it so good is that he didn't try and fix it. He yeah, just stole no, the script I, from. I was the, just gonna say that. Yeah, he didn't fix the he story. He just took the stage direction from the actual ta- pages of the book, That's and all the dialogue is straight. I mean, the yeah. only word changed in the whole thing, as far as I could tell, is the word Constantinople. Becomes Istanbul in the movie. Right? Oh right, that's it. Right, and that's well, probably just to update it. Well, right. prior prior when we stopped before we started recording, and Julie and I had a little discussion about what we thought about this, mm-hmm. and and I, <laughs> we disagreed. And I said it was it was a, a almost perfect uh, piece, and part of that was because nobody. Okay, I didn't see all the adaptations you saw, mm-hmm. but the ones that I saw, they didn't touch it. It was yeah. like they were they didn't. It was like it was too. It was too right to to fool with that movie, the um, the BBC one, the other audio drama we mm-hmm. listened to. Like they all just stayed right in there. Yeah. Okay, seriously, I didn't think we disagreed. I thought we agreed. I picked oh, I the book. We disagree- oh, I thought we were disagreeing. Are you kidding? I said right. It's oh. perfect. <laughs> well, I mean, I, it's we, like it's. Uh, yeah, my only problem was, like I said, I think I know the I knew the ending so well. That as I was reading it, this is the third time I've read it, so um, I was going, ah, oh, what a lot of uh, obfuscation there is in the middle to get to a fairly simple ending, but that's, of course, the interesting part of the book. What a relief, Julie. I was like, what? How could this- How can we not agree? No, I th- you said once again, I was like, oh, I didn't think we agreed that much, but okay. <laughs> so clearly, we- <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, it's... It's great. It's really so well written. And and that's, to me, the thing is, um, you know, I love Chandler and his writing so much. And Hammett is just also so amazing. And yet they're so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They But th- they use their economy of words is different. The phrasing they use is different. But somehow they just echo each other so perfectly that it's how could you pick between one and the other? You, I don't think you can think. This is very different. I mean, it, it was similar oh, yeah. in terms of, of uh, I guess, genre, but the writing is so different. Yeah, the the way it's told, right? This this is a very strange novel for, for storytelling, I think. Um, it's all, and it, it's so heavy on description of people's so heavy on description. movement <laughs> and face yeah. and comparisons to... And what they're wearing yeah. and like... Well, yeah. I think, too, because Hammett was a Pinkerton man. You know, 
I was he was a real talking. detective. He wasn't just a writer. He did that first. So he was writing it from a real detective's point of view. So I thought that was interesting. And then also in his novels, you may have people who do the right thing, but they're not doing it for the reason that Raymond Chandler's characters will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not doing it because it's really the right thing to do. And they're the knight in shining armor, but they're burying it deep beneath the hard surface. No, they're hard boiled to the they're core. Just hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah you, they have their code and they live to their code. As we find out in this book, here's what my code is and it's killing me, but I'm not breaking this damn code, but my code is pretty narrow by the way. I will sleep with, you know, my partner's wife, because whatever. Yeah, we, we have some moral problems in this book, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, it just... We haven't heard from Paul. What, oh, what's your reaction? Is this the first time you read it? It's, it's. I mean, I'd seen the movie several times, because, you know, it would show up on WPX Channel 11, but this is the first time I actually read the novel and actually got to see how, how much... Th- I mean, the movie didn't so much... Um, the movie condenses the novel i mean especially the, mi- the middle section to a real right. e- to a real economy and this novel as as as, as you were saying versus versus um hammett is very big on very big on description very big on on uh, framing scenes i could see why houston just took the text and decided mm-hmm. i will just film this text mm-hmm. as it is and i can do that because this is the kind of novel where you are immersed into the world so effectively that yeah that it's it's dead easy to film if you just follow the words and that's <laughs> so 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 it's kind of like okay but, but that but here's here's part of the problem here's part of the problem as a result since i'd seen the movie first i kept seeing the movie in my head mm-hmm. me too me too Before, I, 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 I was like okay the fence. okay this is that scene the I mean, there's a couple of there's stuff here that's not in the in the film, and I had to, I had to build it out of the text, and this is the thing we <laughs> had can to build that imagination. Oh my gosh! No, 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 no! But no, I'm, this is not a criticism. It's just a matter. Oh, no, of, I'm just being. Yeah, I you, thought you, it was you, you point at me. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. I, I had the chance to actually experience mm-hmm. that those portions of the text as far instead of ex- re-experiencing the movie as text, and so. For those sections, like okay, now I, I can see the power of Chandler's writing because mm. I don't have the movie to to uh, preform my, my 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 conceptions of what's going on. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Me, yeah, yeah, and and having done it the same way as you, when I when I was reading the text, like I would come across things where he would say something <laughs> like. He drew his lips back over his teeth in an impatient grimace and turned his chin aside to avoid contact. And I was like, I thought that was a Bogart thing. Mm. But it was, <laughs> no, it's, no, it's it's stage <laughs> stage direction, right? Yeah, that, yeah, but uh, like, the, it's I think uh, Paul, you, 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 sorry, I just want to make this point before I forget it because I will forget it otherwise. Um, <laughs> one of the things you said uh, is that it condenses the book. I'm not sure that it does. One of one of the if you if you look at how much text is devoted to description of people's clothing and facial features and you know movement uh just a you know in space it's it's the opposite of a philip k dick novel right where you get maybe a first opening paragraph describing something right and then the whole rest of the novel is dialogue right this is mostly not dialogue it's mostly description and then you know in the last scene we get a heavy dialogue um, that 
what film does, right, is, you know, it literally describes uh, what's out in front of the camera. And this is doing the same thing. So it really matches. Um, the only place I'm not 100% sure that I'm not 100% sure about this, but only place that I think it deviated from from the the script that is the novel is if you guys remember the scene in the 1941 film where Bogart uh, he comes out of the room pretending to be angry at uh, um, Bridget I guess is her name Miss O'Shaughnessy O'Shaughnessy um, we don't know that's the great thing about the novel too is we don't know when he's he's right really angry or playing angry he's doing the same thing she does they're two of a pair right so he walks out of the room in the novel and uh down the hallway and he puts a big smile on his face to show that that his plan is working right he's Mm -hmm. pretending to be angry right and then he goes to the elevator and this there's a scene that this is not in the part of this lot this scene is not in the book because we wouldn't see it and that is he gets in the elevator and out of the other elevator comes um, right, Wilmer. And right. just before he gets in that elevator, he looks at his hand and his hand is shaking. Right. So that he's he, not sure yeah. that he's faking. That handshaking is in the book. Is it? OK, yeah, so it's there. There you go. That's that's what I'm talking about is it is, you know, the fact that he gets a, a uh, an award for best out of screenplay adaptation is like he's he's he just exactly ripped it off well, and said i adapted this and he did man he, he did but so even that bbc audio drama like mm-hmm. they they pulled when when the characters weren't speaking uh their lines they actually pulled descriptions out right. as and as characters they read the book as well right, right. even there they just didn't want to break with, it with no film with no visuals you still because get you the couldn't, sense yeah, exactly. And and what I love is because we, unlike Philip Marlowe, who narrates the entire story, right? right. Who gives us the entire perspective on everything. This one, we don't know what's going on except by what's being described. So here's a question for everybody. Uh-huh. Um, who is the homophobe? <laughs> is it uh, the author or the character? Or both, or neither. Ah, uh, that's a oh god, that's a tough question. Because if uh, you go by the the narration done by the author, it could be that he's describing a character's reaction to what's going on. Because it's very careful to uh, give sort of a perspective on what's playing across a person's face, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's not neutral about what's what's appearing on a f- person's face, you know. It, uh, it's it's a, almost like when Bridget O'Shaughnessy is in the room pretending to be nervous about something, but actually nervous about something. Uh, we don't know if, she, and then when uh, Sam Spade calls it out on her, calls her out on it, right? We notice it like he does that mm-hmm. she's faking and then she says something like um well don't blame me for being a fake i've been faking it so long this is how i just am mm-hmm. so I, I i what's the answer who's the homophobe 
I, or is there a homophobia? I didn't feel I, I, I didn't feel homophobia in no. it. I just I, felt like I, I, this was the attitude the that these people. Yeah, I mean, this is just. It was 1929 for one. Yeah, thing. like he was. He was acknowledging that. Okay, that guy's a homosexual. It may not be my cup of tea, but I don't care. That's how I felt about him. Yeah, and the the attitudes you saw were between the people. So when because one of my favorite parts is when I'm not sure if I can find it. I thought I marked it. Um. Uh, you know, Bridget is baiting Cairo. Mm-hmm. And she says exact, or he says exactly. And shall we more certain add more certainly the boy outside? Yes, she agreed and laughed. Yes, unless he's the one you had in Constantinople. Sudden blood <laughs> mottled Cairo's face. In a shrill, enraged voice, he cried, "The one you couldn't make." That's right. And that's right when she slaps him, and he goes, "When you're slapped, you'll take it and you'll like it." Says Sam Spade. But yeah. um. But it's that thing of, to me, it was how were the different characters reacting? Because Gutmann didn't care. No. Um, I didn't think that Sam Spade particularly cared. He was just taking everybody as he, I mean, he might not like the person. He didn't really care what he did in bed. I, that was just how I felt. Yeah, I think, I think it, you could make a very strong case that it's actually not homophobic at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that case would be built up on a couple of things. One, um, what what Spade is doing uh, when he's uh, throwing slurs? Were you baiting us? What, so, sorry. Like, were you baiting us? <laughs> yes, who, I was. Who, who, who finds? Did we win? Uh, <laughs> Did we pass well, the Paul, test? And we'll Paul go yet. into the West. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanna I wanna I wanna point out that you know. When I'm saying homophobia, who who is the gay man in this story, right? So clearly, there are two. I th- yeah, well, no, right. I think it might not be two. I think it might be more than that. Yeah. Um, so Wilmer is the one who's getting all the um, slurs directed against him. Not everybody recognizes all the slurs, but there's yeah. a hell of a lot of slurs sure. going against him. Um, obviously, the flamboyantly gay. Uh, character is uh, the Peter Laurie character. Right. Um, what's his name in the novel? In the Joel book? Cairo. Cairo, right. Okay. Cairo. Is it Joe or Joel? Joel. 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 Yeah, okay. It smells like a gardenia. Walt, darling, send them in. Um, in <laughs> gardenia? That's in the movie. Okay, so in the book, it's, it's, it's Cypress, yeah, it's uh, which is like uh, from the Isle of Cyprus. It's like a it sounds fruity, right? It's a, like a limey or yeah. um, well, Cairo citrusy. also. Everybody knows those Egyptians. They got a lot of weird. Well, ways. he's got a Greek passport, oh. right? So there's oh, that's all right. sorts of sorts of uh, things that are pointing to it. Uh, obviously, not the fa- not only the fact that uh, Bridget and Cairo went after the same kid in Istanbul or Constantinople, and uh, one of them lost, right? Yeah. Um, so there's also the, uh, some speculation, and I think pretty good speculation, um, that Gutman is uh, of the gay persuasion as well. Um, the whole gang is sometimes thought of as a gay gang or a queer gang. Um, uh, when <laughs> that, Kyra- that never would have occurred to me. Yeah, because I think Sidney Greenstreet doesn't exhibit anything about any of it. He just seems kind of genial and fixed on the. Um, I said, sorry, Sidney Greenstreet. To me, you know, uh, William DeFries did such a great job of imitating him in the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And uh, having seen the movie, I just can't divorce him. Lorre, yeah. I love him. Yeah, no, Gutman. You didn't like his Peter Lorre? Oh, no, his Peter Lorre was good, but his Sydney Greenstreet They're is both the one really that, good, yeah. that that my husband and I were listening on audio a long time ago, and we both went, oh, my gosh. We would listen just for this. Yeah, he's good. Um, I wasn't as uh, – he didn't do a, a Sam Spade impression, you know. Well, you know, and one thing – and then this is off topic, and we can go right back to the whole gay gang thing. But um, <laughs> one of the descriptions in the book that threw me out of the movie in my head and back into having to think for myself was – that he that Sam Spade looks like a blonde Satan. Mm. Yeah, and, and, they, and hence Satan made a la- made a la- made a lady. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so, I'm sorry, he's Humphrey Bogart to me. Oh, and the the teeth thing that's mm-hmm. in the book, but mm-hmm. also that's a Humphrey Bogart thing because he had caps, right. and his lips was kind of that's stick, and he'd sure. also kind of spray spit out if he didn't kind of do that every so often. It was a problem of his, so it just became a trademark because nobody told why. Mm-hmm. Um, so just FYI, but um, <laughs> but yeah, for me, I just kept going the blonde Satan thing. I kept going, oh right, right. He doesn't look at all like I think he looks. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I just it's just like elided on my head and just thought Humphrey Pump Pump Humphrey Bogart. I'm ignoring I'm ignoring this description right? of his blonde hair because he's right? Humphrey Bogart for crying out loud. Right. Yeah. We want him. So uh, back to the gay gang thing. Yeah. Um, one one way of looking at it is that um, that Gutman is just another kind of gay man, right? So how how, how much does this really matter? Probably not a lot, but it, just thinking about his relationship with the boy, right? He calls him. You're like a son to me. <laughs> yeah. Wilma, Wilma, you're like a son to me. But sons can be replaced. <laughs> nicely done. There's, There's only, only one, one. Malchie's fault. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, in in both the book and, and the film, there's sort of a protective relationship. And Cairo seems to be uh, uh, kind of like actively affectionate, right? Uh, towards Stop. Wilmer, but yes, he does. But he's not. Wilmer is not Cairo's boy, right? He's the other's boy. Yeah. Um, and the, they have some sort of really strange family. And I want to bring this back to um, to what's going on in the Big Goodbye, that Star Trek episode. <laughs> Um, and the that's why I, I always go for my gay family information. So yes, please. <laughs> well, uh, they are a pretty gay family. Uh, one one of the things that happens in that episode um, that you guys probably don't remember if you haven't seen it in a long, long time, like me since 1988, I guess, right? Um, <laughs> is that the doctor uh, Will Crusher's mom? <laughs> or wait, Will Wheaton's mom. Or maybe it's Will Crusher as well, right? Okay, so he, <laughs> she, Wesley she, Crusher, Wesley Crusher. We, okay, that's it. Wesley, Very good. right? So Wesley Crusher's mom um, is on the in that episode, and she starts, um, you know, touching Picard uh, when he's describing how much fun he's having with his new computer game. <laughs> she goes up to him, starts wiping away the lipstick that's on his face, and then they go on a date. So there's a lot of like 
if this is a really weird family meeting, like you got the Klingon uh-huh. sitting there and he. Pre- well, she's pre- always had the, but you know, the whole, that whole dynamic was always there from the beginning on that. So that's probably why they sort of got. Yeah. They just kind of kept it going because at the yeah. very end of the whole series, I think there's a thing about do they or don't they finally get together? Cause we're ending it all up. So well, you've got so. this really strange family, right? So there's Picard, sort of the dad figure, right? To his left is the Klingon, who doesn't know how to pronounce the word automobiles, let alone what they are. Um, and then you've got the the, the puppet guy. Uh, sorry, what's, he's not a puppet guy. Data. Data. What's what's his description? Android. No, he's he's, uh, he's the, an android. The boy with the long yeah. wooden nose. <laughs> Pinocchio? He's a Pinocchio character, right? You've got a Pinocchio character. Wants to be a real boy. Right. Um, You've got a whole bunch of characters sitting around this table. And then they're on a very important mission. But that's the B story to the A story, which is, you know, there's something wrong on the holodeck or whatever, right? Yeah. And That holodeck caused a lot of trouble. They go into the holodeck. They start having fun with the thing. And then it goes wrong. But the the important part about the episode to me is that... (laughs) The characters in the story, um, the Gutman equivalent and the Leech equivalent, uh, and even the the detective friend equivalent—not the detective boss, but the detective friend—are yeah. um, all in on the story, even after the point when they find out that they're they're not real, right? And they're all after the item, right? They don't <laughs> call it the Maltese Falcon. They don't really even know what they're looking for. Right, they're just all after the item, and this to me is a really interesting thing because when you go back and look at the original Maltese Falcon movie, what makes that dynamic so awesome, it, where the uh, the highest point for me in the film is when they find out that the Maltese Falcon is fake, right? That yeah. they got tricked. Or at least that's what Gutman says. I spent 17 years looking, whatever. Yes, my fortune. Right? And it's only 15.7% more for one more year or whatever it is. So he, (laughs) he makes this plan to go back to Constantinople. Actually, um... Come, sir. There's no need to going on like that. Everybody errs at times. (laughs) Right? So he says... Uh, let's go to Constantinople, and the Peter Lorre character gets this like faith in his face suddenly back. He's mm-hmm. alive again. His mm-hmm. life has purpose and meaning, right? And they go out the door joyously, and in fact, they invite Spade to come along, <laughs> right? Um, it's almost beautiful, and I love it. I, Every, I think everybody does. I think the movie makers loved it, and Hollywood loved it, and all the f- audience loved it, and that's why you get Casablanca, right? Where you reunite right. these character actors. Um, <sighs> in oh, that wasn't first. N- no, oh, right. that's, uh, that's right. That was after a year later. Yeah. Right? Okay, because yeah. I knew it was during the war um, when yeah, I did it. So. Uh, okay. It's you know totally the, it's you. the next film. Um, that reunites all those actors and they keep reuniting them over and over again because that scene works so well. You've got these three kinds of men, right? The stand up, uh, the stand up, um, tough guy with, uh, you know, cynicism and, uh, 
a code and uh, you know he's, he won't be have anything put over on him mm-hmm. and then you've got the sort of the sycophant the leech right, right. the uh, the the why we love peter lorry as uh joel cairo mm-hmm. so much is is that scene that's right in the book right where he he says I need you to stand with your hands behind your neck, <laughs> right? And then he has his pistol I taken away from him. I think all your episodes have been missing a lot of characterization, Jesse. And if you would please do this in every future episode, I would really appreciate it. It's amazing. In any case, um, he no, I'm not kidding. His, I'm serious. I'm dead serious. I'm loving this. And then he knocks the pistol out of his hand, right? Knocks the pistol out of his hand, takes, punches him in the face. Then they have the conversation. At the end of the conversation. That pistol is pointing back again, and Spade laughs, right? Mm. As the room is searched. It just lets it go. Like, that is why we love Joel Cairo, right? And mm-hmm. and Peter Lorre. That's why we love him. Um, the gutman, uh, Sidney Greenstreet, he's so dynamic uh, a speech a speaker when he... There's a line I tweeted at you guys um, yes. this week. Yes. What was it? I love talking to a man who loves talking to other men talking or something like that. <laughs> um, he's got all these wheels within plans. And, you know, when he does that, it's in the book and it's in the movie. When he does the palming of the... Um, of the bill. Of the bill, $1,000 bill. And I have to have my little games now and then to keep my hand right. in or whatever it is. He's He's got this, this aspect to him where he's trying to put one over on everyone all the time as they all are in a certain sense but his way of doing it is um you know he he apologizes while he's insulting you right (laughs) well and i think that that point you make i hadn't thought about that the thousand dollar bill little game he does is kind of the key to what you were saying earlier with his relationship with wilmer Mm -hmm. it was like your son like his son to me but i'm gonna go the Falcon is worth more to me. Right. And um, it's not maybe necessarily that it's, you know, you're speculating about the gay family thing or whatever. I don't know that we're ever really given that for Gutman, but what we're given is that he loves manipulating people. He's always trying to manipulate Sam Spade until the point when he has to drug him. He's always manipulating everybody he can to get his way. And I just think that's that $1,000 bill thing shows us wide open. He'll just screw with people to Find see what they do. Find me a character in this novel who isn't manipulating someone at all the, at every point. Effie. I know, but they ah, all have something that they uh-huh. want. She is, uh, even she is. Effie is manipulating. Tell us, Paul. Yeah, because 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 she makes a point that she trusts Bridget and Sam has to go after her and save her. So yeah, oh. e- e- yeah, oh. everybody's manipulating everybody. She's in this a movie. simple manipulator in that she yeah. she just says yeah. what she wants and then she says I I think you should do it and then she you know tr- there's yeah. a scene where she makes a cigarette for him right and then yes. uses his own tongue or lips to make the uh, seal on the I mean it's. It's all manipulation there. She'll go stand behind him and he'll lean his head back against her and put his arm around on her hip. And I kept looking at that going, what the hell? Yeah. Otherwise, he's treating her like, you know, she's his niece or something, but or daughter or whatever. And I'm like, but I see it's their little game that they play. They're in a hetero sort of version of the gay version on the other team, right? So you've got Archer cheating on uh, his wife and Spade's cheating with Archer's wife. And... Archer's cheating on his secretary, right? 
<laughs> and the secretary knows about it, and she's sort of egging him on. She says, there's a woman out here, and you'll want to see her, right? You want to see her anyway, she's yeah. She's also a spectacularly bad judge of character, too. And she's like, if, I, if she's not right, then she, you know, I've never been able to judge anyone. And he kind of, he goes along with it because he wants to anyway. But later he's like, so, you want to talk about this again? She's like, just shut up. Shut yeah. up. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's... I mean, that's that's kind of what She's it's all about. It. It's all about the fact that everybody is cynically, in a certain sense, or different levels of cynicism, manipulating everyone else. Dundee, Dundee is trying to, trying to corner Spaden to be able to to nab him. Yeah. So yeah, even the cops are in on it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's a, there's no escaping in a certain sense, and on that cynicism. What about, what about his cop friend? Well, House? yeah. So. Uh, it's he's barely in the story, so I I agree that it, it's not a strong I'm case just there. Asking, I, I'm however, just uh, if um, you if you look at the relationship that goes on in uh, the Star Trek Next Generation adaptation, I really don't feel we can use that to analyze the book. I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I feel like it, it's it has the same dynamics. Far. It has exactly yeah, the same yeah, dynamics. Come on, I, I mean, there's this whole chapter in the book that we don't see in the movie at all where. Uh, Oh yeah, where, or where Paul House and uh, Sam share uh, pickles, pickles right. pig feet. Mm-hmm. Right. That I, I yeah, it's like when I came across this. You're right. Like, that is not. Wait, wait, he's eating pickles pig feet because I could. I tried to imagine Humpy Go like eating pickles pig feet, and I couldn't. So it's like, what the heck? Maybe why that's why. This? Hold on. Not with those caps. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if anyone could pull it off, Bogey could. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> These pictures are terrific. <laughs> John Houston just didn't have the time in the film, or he'd have done it. <laughs> All right. So, um, the, the bringing something up. Uh, this is the first note I made on my notes. I we haven't touched my notes yet. Um, oh, but this is the one I I want to ask you guys about because I think it's really interesting. I think it is there to offer insight into what exactly what I'm pointing to. Somehow, um, this is the part where Julie's gonna. Start disagreeing with me halfway through, and then Am not I? let me finish. So I'm gonna uh, <laughs> quote. Um, going. I'm gonna quote the end of the novel where uh, where Spade tells um, uh, not Effie uh, tells uh, Bridget to shut up while I explain. <laughs> okay. So this is this is why I think why is this novel work so well, um, and why is it so resonate as opposed to uh, any of the other novels by. Dash Muhammad. This is the one everyone knows. This is the one everyone turns to. Um, and why does the film work so well? And I think it really has to do with the fact that everybody's ch- chasing a what's it that <laughs> absolutely has no value, or if it does, its value is sort of just to get action going. Um, so I pointed a couple of movies out that I really like that have almost identical plots. One is um, uh, I think it's from the 90s, a movie called Ronin. Um, if you guys know this movie, it's a Robert De Niro film set in Nice, France. Um, and everybody's chasing a suitcase uh, that they don't know what's in it. Um, Isn't that a MacGuffin? Yeah, it is absolutely a MacGuffin in the same way that Maltese Falcon right. itself is a MacGuffin, right? But uh, it's a terrific film. Um, i trying to remember who directed it. Um, I think it was Michael Mann, actually. Now that I think about it, maybe it wasn't. Um, in any case, um, 
the Robert De Niro character John is paired up. Frankenheimer. Okay. Um, in any case, uh, you've got a, a sort of an international cast. I love how international this this book is, and how um, the the movie does it too. You know, just set in a small small town of San Francisco, it's it's a, got a global scope and a global story. In Ronin, everybody's chasing after this suitcase, and they don't know what's in the suitcase. You've got some IRA terrorist lady who says, "Give me the kiss." Sounds like she wants to get a kiss every. <laughs> I need a kiss, right? So, <laughs> so everybody's after this suitcase. Turns out it do, We don't. We we never even find out what's in it. Um, but it's got some great revelations, and it, the the fact that everybody's manipulating each other, and sometimes they're they're doing it in as unmean a way as they can. But they still have to do it because they all have to get the what the great what's it the MacGuffin right. There's a another film uh, I pointed out too called Kiss Me Deadly, which I think is one of my favorite uh, film noir movies. Um, it's by based on a novel by Mickey Spillane with the same title, um, and that one has again a suitcase that everybody's after. But when you open the lid of this suitcase, um, your the room lights up. And your face comes off, basically. Um, and this Mickey is Spillane this, wrote that. Uh, you, wow. well, yes, but I'm talking about the the yes, but I'm talking about the film, which well, is I know. a I'm really just... terrific hard hard uh, noir movie. Um, in any case, that's the same suitcase that shows up in Pulp Fiction, right? That the MacGuffin everybody's chasing after, at least part of the. Part of the yep. film cast is chasing after, right? It's all connected around this MacGuffin that you know, when you open it up, it's it glows, and we don't ever see what's in it. Um, so my uh, this whole tangent of what I'm talking about is why is this all resonate? Is because in a world without God, and this is where Julie has to pause for a moment. <laughs> in a world I'm without God, listening. we do not have any purpose for existence. We have to find purpose, and so. When they think they found the Maltese Falcon, they think they're approaching what they were searching for, right? Remember, the price of the Maltese Falcon goes up and up and up throughout the film, or the film and the book. It starts at you know two hundred dollars, and then it goes up to five hundred dollars, and then it's a thousand dollars, and then it's ten thousand dollars, and then it's five thousand dollars, and then when Sydney Greenstreet slash Gutman explains uh, how much it could be worth. Um, it could be worth an infinite amount of money, it sounds like, right? And yet it's just a little statuette. And who's going to pay for it, right? Is it some museum somewhere that's going to buy it? The, the whole purpose of this this object that they're chasing after is it's something worth chasing after. And so when, when Joel Cairo gets that sense that maybe my life can regain a purpose, mm-hmm. we who have, you know, found and been saddened by the loss of God in the world, get a sense of, oh, yes, there is something to chase after. Now, I can unpause Julie and <laughs> let her rest, ah. because obviously, you know, th- this is not the philosophy. You know, Why you would, would I follow. not agree with this? This sounds like Scott and I don't need to ever talk about this book okay. now. <laughs> no, I'm just sitting here going... Wow, I would never have gone there because I wasn't thinking about it. But you're right. That's, I mean, one of the reasons that we love um, in the movie that they don't kill um, Gutman. 
mm-hmm. or Gutman, whatever, is because he's allowed to go on with his search and they're allowed to go on having their quest. And mm. what is it, of course, you know, that we're looking for? We all have that, if I'm allowed to go there, that God-shaped hole that mm-hmm. we're always trying to mm-hmm. fill with stuff and yep. we mm-hmm. just keep putting stuff in. Um, I'm just, wow, Jesse, high five, but <laughs> I like it. Okay, good. I already okay. started making notes of about what time this would show up so I can go, Scott, Scott, listen to this. <laughs> 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 nice. <laughs> so I, I wanted to point to the, the uh, a part in the story that's really interesting that's not in the movie. Um, it's the Flitcraft case. Do you guys remember this part? It's in chapter yeah. seven. And I thought it was that's weird. How does I this thought that was up? weird too, just sitting there in the middle right. of it. And it's wonderful. It's a wonderful story, yeah. and it has nothing to do with the rest of the plot unless you sort of look at it very obliquely. As a, you know, this is a guy who suddenly realized that uh, death is real and that the life he's been living is uh, uh, not the life he wants. And then, of course, the, the, the surprise at the end of that story is that he recreates the life he was living before the accident happens. Okay, mm-hmm. I can't remember. Oh, wait, I do remember the so case. Okay. This is one of the uh, this is one of the, one problem I had with the William DeFries's narration. Uh, I I know William DeFries, but his pronunciation of Spokane is not correct. Um, <laughs> it's Spokane, not uh, Spokane. I think is what he said. Yeah. Okay. Well, you said Spokane, and I went, but isn't it Spokane? How how should we say it? It's I Spokane. misunderstood it's Spokane. you. He says Spokane. Yeah. Well, it looks yeah. like spoke. It, lo- it looks like Americans. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Well, no, it's Spokane's in the states. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> oh no, I was just thinking of you know, there's Palestine and then there's Palestine, Texas, spelled the same, but yeah, you know. So what do you, what so do you anyway. think about this? What do you think about this, Paul? This this uh, what's the point? What's the point of the Tacoma Flitcraft story? The point. The point of the story. It, it, it's basically pointing. Uh, Pointing to um, illuminating the backstory of the character. I mean, it's really Spade telling a story rather than telling a story about about Flitcraft. It's really fleshing him out in a way that uh, we we get a, we get, we, we kind of get a sense of how Spade wound up in San Francisco. I mean, in the movie, he just like comes out of the ground as where he's fully formed. Whereas mm-hmm. this chapter is kind of I'm not even sure this chapter's needed. It, I mean, it would be needed in a modern novel. Maybe, maybe, maybe if uh, this wasn't ever, ever filmed, this chapter would have more value. It's really just okay. Um, I'm. It's like we need we need to know more how Spade got here so we can un- understand. I mean, the other the other characters are. I mean, I should say they're ciphers, but they're very much they come out of the mists, as it were. They out of the mists of well, Istanbul. They have their own backstory, which I think I think this is. But 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 we don't really see. I mean, we get more of the backstory of the Falcon than we do really. I mean, I mean, we know Gutman's been chasing us for seventeen years. We know Bridget got wrapped up this in Istanbul. Yeah, it's like I, they're like a ball of snow that gets uh, gloms on more people as it goes down the hill. Right, right. I mean. I mean, clearly, Joel Cairo has a backstory, and I've seen some some online speculations as to what that backstory really is. But Sam Spade, since he's our center here, he needs he needs to be explained why he wound up in that in that 
dingy San Francisco office with the view of the Golden Gate Bridge with a partner who he's cheating on. Right. And so cynically down actually downtown right. So cynically just like moving through the world. Well, it's because he's been do- he did jobs like Flitcraft. That's why this I mean, that's why he's a private detective, regular private detective on his own now because of that experience. So it it basically needs to underpin him in a way that the movie doesn't. And I think if you had filmed it and he actually explained all this and he told Flitcraft's story, it would be a major digression. And mm, would be we already big. have that from Sydney Green Street, right? The 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 whole plot explanation. In in other adaptations, well, they just in in in, in, in the abbreviated form. I mean, in the novel, he go. I mean, I mean, yeah, Sydney Green Street. Oh yeah, I got captured by pirates and. Associated journey. I mean, the mm-hmm. novel he goes into the full detail of Which this I is love. the pirate that got in, then went into France and was lost in France for eighty years, knocking around yeah. shops. And it was I, I was fascinated by. Yeah. He says we, it's we, history, we this, but not Mr. Wells's history, right? Right. H. G. Wells' right. history. Right, right. Yeah. Because I, I I had to think about that for a second. Like, oh yeah, that's right. H. G. Wells wrote a history, and in 1929, H. G. Wells would have been known as well for. That history, as he would have been for War of a the Worlds, massive, massive history. Yeah, that that that's the thing that was much more popular than his short stories, right, and his novels. But uh, his massive sort of overarching history of humanity, not just not just in the modern time, but in ancient and pre pre uh, historical times. And this is the opposite. This is a micro story, right? Right. And I want to read a paragraph from this. Go for it. Because because. because this this is the key. This is the key. Um, it's the the last line of a paragraph in the next one. He knew then that men died at haphazard like that and lived only while blind chance spared them. It was not primarily the injustice of that discerned. He accepted that after the first shot. What disturbed him was the discovery that insensibly ordering his affairs, he got out of step and not into step with life. He said he knew before he got twenty feet from the fallen being, he would never know peace again until he adjusted himself to his new glimpse of life. By the time he had eaten his lunch and he had found his means of adjustment, life could be ended for him at random by a falling beam. He would change his life at random by simply going away. He loved his family, he said, as much as he supposed was usual, but he knew that he was leaving them he'd adequately provide for, and his love for them was not of the sort that would make absence painful. It's just like, it's, 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 okay, nihilistic is an overused word. It's a very fatalistic sort of like, the world could, I mean, my life could end at any time. So. Yeah, the heck with it. And then Bridget but, O'Shaughnessy's reaction, how perfectly fascinating. She's but, always lying. She's but, always, always but see, lying. I think that's why he's telling – he tells us what he likes about this story. He says, right. I don't think he even knew he had settled back naturally into the same groove he had jumped out of in Tacoma. But that's the part of it I always liked. Right. He adjusted himself to beams falling, and then no more of them fell, and he adjusted him. Uh, he adjusted himself to them not falling. Yeah. And I think what he's saying about the story, um, yeah, it tells us why he got there. But the point of the story is he's telling it to Bridget. And there's no reason except that he's essentially saying to her, you're never going to change. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you think fixed. you've shifted out of it because you love me. You're going to slide back into who right. I know you already are, just like I will. And I think that's I think that's what he's saying. He, yeah. That's why he's telling that's that story. Yeah. yeah, and she doesn't. She doesn't get it. No, because she's too much herself. She lies to herself as well as to everyone else. Right. Right. 
And she says that. She says, I've lied so long, I don't know how to do anything else. Um, I have another note here that's specifically for Julie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A long time ago, um, we had a conversation about (laughs) a specific word in English that I like to say. Um, That is the word fuck. Um, I think it's a great word. I, I don't remember the conversation. Uh, you would put it. You would read an audio book and you had kept it in there. And I think I had oh. uh, commented, said thank you for putting oh. that in there because a lot of times people like to censor things, mm-hmm. and you are not a person who does that. Right. Um, so uh, th- this book had censorship, right? Um, in in the magazine, it got censorship in the film. Um, so the word gunsel, we talked about oh, about this I, a, a bit on Twitter, right? Yeah. So this is this is funny. The word gunsel now means gunman, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, especially you know, sort of uh, not a hitman, but just like a thug sort of gunman, right? Because that's the role we think that he's fulfilling in the book, and that is kind of the role he's fulfilling in the book and in the movie, especially. But the actual meaning is much more like uh, the original meaning of punk, right? right. <laughs> meaning of punk today is not, uh, you know, it's like punk rock or punk music or cyberpunk, or, right? But a punk is like, it's basically uh, a male prostitute or a male sex slave, right? <laughs> um, and gunsel is the same meaning, right? So when he sell- calls them, a, keep that gunsel away from me, <laughs> Um, he's projecting homo homophobia or something in order to anger and control the situation, anger characters and control the situation. Um, it gets past the censors there, but there's a one censorship in here that is just terrific. Um, so there's a back and forth conversation, well, not conversation exchange, uh, with the boy who's following uh, Wilmer following, um, Spade around town. All, all throughout, you know, the story, and they're in the lo- uh, in the lobby of a hotel. Oh, yeah. And they have this exchange. Um, so I'll just read part of it here. Um, Who's he? Spade was busy with his cigarette. Who? The fairy. The hazel eyes went, gaze went up to Spade's chest, to the knot on his maroon tie, and rested there. What do you think you're doing, Jack? The boy demanded. Kidding me? I'll tell you when I am. Spade licked his cigarette and smiled amiably at the boy. New York, aren't you? The boy star- stared at Spade's tie and did not speak. Spade nodded as if the boy had said yes and asked, Bombs Rush? B-A-U-M-E-S? Rush. I wondered what that was. Okay, I didn't so this look it is, This is the 1920s, 30s equivalent of, of the Three Strikes Law. So uh, oh. if you are a guy who... Uh, has committed crime once, twice. Third time, it's like life imprisonment, right? So mm-hmm. what would happen is Baum is the guy, the lawmaker. Um, criminals who do criminal activity for a living were thought to flee to a jurisdiction where it was not uh, their third strike. So they oh. would move across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of okay. course, Baum's Rush also sounds like Bum's Rush. Right. And Bum's and Hobo's... Uh, are associated with um, homosexual keeping of gunsels. They okay? are? Yes. I didn't know that. Uh, that's where the term comes from and comes into English from, is from hobo sort of language, which is, you know, 
around huh. this period. No, so, I just never heard that before. I want to keep going here because this is where it starts to get really good. The boy stared at Spade's tie for a moment longer, then raised his newspaper and returned his attention to it. Shove off, he said from the side of his mouth. Spade lighted the cigarette, leaned back comfortably on the van, and spoke with good-natured carelessness. You'll have to talk to me before you're through, Sonny. Some of you will, and you can't. T- you can tell. Gee, I said so. This is at the point where Gutman doesn't have a name yet, right? Hmm. I love that part. Then he said, "Mystery." The boy put his paper down quickly and faced Spade, staring at the necktie. With so he never brings his eyes up, right? That's really interesting. Staring at the necktie, and I think the uh, actor who we barely recognize in the role does the same thing. He's he's almost not there. Mm-hmm. That's what he's supposed to do, right? Um, and then he says, "Shove off." <laughs> uh, I told you to shove off. Spade waited until a bespectacled, pudgy man and a thin-legged blonde girl had passed out of hearing. <laughs> nice relationship we never see again. <laughs> then he chucked, chuckled and said, so he waits until the guy goes by to have the rest of the conversation, right? This is very, like, performance art, right? Mm-hmm. Designed to pro- provoke. That would get go over big back on 7th Avenue. And he's talking about New York. But you're not in Romeville now. That's, again, 7th Avenue in New York. Uh. You're in Myburg. He inhaled cigarette smoke and blew it out in a long, pale cloud. Well, where is he? He's talking about uh, Gutman. The boy spoke two words. The first, a short, guttural verb. The second, <laughs> you. Oh! Right. Yeah. I did catch. Yeah, that I thought was I very clever. In the book. Oh. Right? So what's he, what's he referring to? This is the word. We had a conversation about this years ago. You were saying... That nobody said fuck you in World War II. Oh, well, really? Did yeah. I? Yeah, and of course that, that's absolutely not true. It's just that it was so heavily censored, right? Mm-hmm. It's so heavily censored that in in the 1929 magazine, they they can't actually use the word. So he has to make it real. Shove off is you know a way sailors have of talking to each other you know like i'm in a bar and i found this girl shove off right you know it's it's not a a very heavy insult and it's not working here so when he says you know that'll work on seventh avenue this is where sailors go to pick up right this is all anti uh homo uh, anti-homophobic rhetoric right it's all designed to provoke this Mm -hmm. kid um and he keeps putting the kid in his place trying to pr- provoke him um, to try and get shake loose information, I think, is the idea. So wh- whether he, you know, going back to who's homophobic here, I don't think that there's any evidence that Chandler, oh, sorry, <laughs> that um, Hammett. Hammett actually is homophobic. He's just got a character who's employing homophobic uh, sort of language in order to provoke He's manipulating people just like everybody is. He, it's not homophobia that's uh, he's working because he doesn't play that angle as much on Cairo at all, mm-hmm. right? right? He only does it against uh, the guy who think he's he's working on. Are there are there homophobic um, are there people? Do people talk about this book in terms yeah. of that? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I got the the theory that the whole gang is is homophobic. There's a great um, website, actually. Uh, I think it's miskatonic.org. Um, that uh, It's called Rara Avis, of course, after the rare bird, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's, it has huge uh, 
archive of discussions back in the 90s uh, on, uh, th- you know, our, what are they called, bulletin boards? And yeah. all, all <laughs> of these, you know, people, amateur scholars have gone through and through and through and and collected all the, uh, the thoughts about this book. So mm-hmm. there's lots of good research out there. I thought that was really interesting that we have a fuck you in this book without it actually being mentioned, right? And he does it more than once, I think. And he keeps bringing it back. He said those two words again. He said those yep, two words that's again. Right. Yeah. He's trying to. He's trying to. He can't act, right? He's yeah. Trying to push him away because he's making him upset. Um, I have one more note. I, I'm sure we're going to talk more, but I have one more note. Um, but before I get to that, I want to uh, point out. I've, uh, there's there's a Lux Theater version of this. Um, mm-hmm. You guys know that that radio drama. So Lux was a soap, <laughs> a soap like a yeah. soap soap opera and. <laughs> oh, the Lux itself, yeah. Yeah, the, the Lux product. So they, yeah. they have, it was Hollywood theater, right, right? So they get Hollywood actors to recreate films in radio drama form. And in their version of the Maltese Falcon, it's Edward G. Robinson as Sam Spade. Oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I'm Sam Spade, she. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. Um so uh, you can check that out as well. That's on YouTube. Um, and here is my final. There's a final note I wanted to make sure I got down here while I'm on my notes. And that is, um, do you guys remember? There's a strange line. Um, I looked it up, and that's why uh, yeah, I found it strange. I thought oh, it's got to mean something. So um, there's a strange line when Spade comes back to the apartment. Uh-huh. Um, and he says to the um, says to um, the Irish lady, what's her name? O'Shaughnessy. Bridget. Bridget. I think it's uh, I think it's Bridget. He says, "You're the sister of the boy who stood on the burning deck." And this is me- we're meant to take as he is um, he is saying, "Wow, you you." followed my orders to the letter so right you didn't leave you didn't right. you did exactly what i wanted yeah right so um this is from a poem um and it's quoted in many you know sort of literary things uh so the boy on the burning deck um burning deck. that's all but he had fled right now the reason i i bring it up is because of not the poem itself um, but rather because of the poem's title, Casabianca. Uh, Casabianca, which is almost the same words as Casablanca, Casablanca. right? So I, I'm not sure. We don't know how exactly uh, the film of we know how the film Maltese Falcon came to be, but we do not know how Casablanca came to be exactly. It was sort of a filler film. You know, it was yeah. it was it turned into a great classic, and I think it turned into such a great classic because of uh, just a wonderful confluence of events and the fact that you know they didn't screw it up somehow. But right. you've got Sidney Greenstreet, Peter Lorre, um, and uh, Humphrey Bogart back, right? You've got these strange uh, international sort of relationships. You've got the Nazis. <laughs> You've got Vichy France. 
right? You've got all sorts of things going on there. And of course, at the end of the film, you have that great speech that is almost a mirror of the one in this one, right? In the in the dynamics of it, where but the difference is that's a sort of a romantic, um, uh, positive version of the romantic negative version that's in here, right? At the end of this book, I I I, I don't know what Sam Spade's thinking, saying is come around to me in 20 years <laughs> or whatever it is, right? It's that I don't, he says, you know, I'm in love with you now, maybe, but in a week, who knows? Right. right. <laughs> uh, he knows himself, before. right? So come back to me in 20 years. Um, that's not going to work out, right? Well, unless she gets hanged. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, if she'll she be in jail. Hanged, right? She'll either be in jail that long or they'll kill her one or the other. Right. They did sleep together. So the, the possibility, uh, is that they? Um, yeah. They won't they, hang her because she has a baby or something. But yeah. Who knows? Say they do both say that they love each other, but do you think either one of them loved each other? The well, other? I think I think he he clearly thinks that his his uh, his philandering is going to be a problem for him. <laughs> right. Well, that he story, seems to fall in love with every woman he's. That's seen. right. In the and moment, he, they're all angels, right? They're Even all his, angels. They're yeah. all darling. His his hands are all over every single one of them. So, yeah. like, I don't know what does love mean to him. It doesn't mean anything. He's the he's like the that's he's the hetero version of um, Cairo in a certain yeah. sense. Yeah, right? and and she <laughs> obviously she was sent to Istanbul or wherever it was to sleep with the with the Russian to get the thing. Like, right. 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 she couldn't make the boy, so the other guy made him. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So, like, it's a fun speech, and they both probably took it for what it is, like that, a fun speech. But it's pure, as pure bullshit as everything else that they've said to each other. And, and uh, you right. know, I like this novel a lot, but the ending's not the greatest thing ever. The ending of Casablanca may be the greatest thing ever, right? Where you've got that, uh, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but forever and for the rest of your life, or whatever it goes, right? Right. Um, and then they get on the jet plane. <laughs> it's not a jet plane. They get on the plane, and there's the smoke, and then this could be the beginning of a beautiful... Yeah. Right? He's, he, it's the same story in the relationships, right? And it even has... I will point this out. And, uh, this is my independent research, by the way, not somebody else's. This is so awesome. The letter of transit is the Maltese Falcon. What? So... Everybody's what? trying to get wait, this wait, letter what? of transit. In if if you uh, try to remember what yeah, Casablanca is about, is is everybody needs okay. a letter of transit to get out of Casablanca. Well, it's owned by it's owned by the Nazis now, right? Yeah, but right. I would say that this was during a time when they were churning out a zillion movies, and so if somebody had picked exactly, up they some of these ideas. Off. I was just reading up, and they were saying Casablanca was a solid but unspectacular hit when it came out. And then um, it won a few Academy Awards, and everybody went, oh, maybe it's better than we thought. And now, of course, you watch it and go, yes, it's a work of genius. But, yeah, of course, the difference is that in Casablanca, there is true love. It has stood the test of time. People have denied themselves and gone away and made the wrong choices, and they come back together, and they're still deeply in love. But... What he, what's worth sacrificing for? And as you say, you know, there it's the same. It's your principles. It's what's the right thing to do. Right. And yeah. in this case... And she's worthy in that case, right? She and, is and worthy. And so is the boyfriend, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, you know, clueless. Well, no, he's important but, for the war. 
right? Well, well, yeah, he's important for the war, but I'm thinking in terms of human relationships. He's just this clueless, trusting kind of like, isn't she the best thing ever? Yeah, she is. But yeah. I was thinking of, um, and in that case, they both know who each other are. And in this case, you're right. I, have, I wouldn't have thought of that. But in this case, they both know who each other are. And so um, he's, because she, she's saying, she's trying her hardest to argue things out of it. And he's like, he's saying what uh, Mice is saying. It's easy enough to be nuts about you, but I don't know what that amounts to. Does anybody ever? Not a hill of beans. But suppose <laughs> I do. Right. Whatever. Maybe next month I won't. Not in this crazy then, world. <laughs> then, the one of the best lines ever, I'll think I played the sap. And if I did it and got sent over, then I'd be sure I was the sap. Well, if I send you over, I'll be sorry as hell. I'll have some rotten nights, but that'll pass. And, you know, because he's like, I'm not going to play the sap for you. Right. And that's and that's really even more than here's my code. If you've got a partner and he gets killed, you find out who did it and you punish them. And if you're a detective, you especially do it because guess what? I still have to make a living, too. But he's like, but more important than that is I'm not playing the sap for you. You're not winning. We both know what's going on here. And I'm not going to be killed for you. You're not winning this time. I I just I think it you know the reason that that film is so great is because it is it is replicating so much not just what's going on in the film adaptation of the novel but what's mm-hmm. going on in the novel and and putting a positive sort of spin on like you think of how low spirits mm. are at that point in the war right. uh, late forty one right um, and the fact that you know the Nazis are winning all over the place. Um, the cynicism of the 1929 novel um, is not the place. It's not in the right place, right? Um, they they kind of make it less cynical in the in the movie adaptation, the 41 adaptation. Um, but it 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 doesn't. That's why yeah, the 70, it's still there. It, it's still there. It's still and, there. Mm-hmm. But they haven't I, entered the war yet, and the, and by '75, right, you can't do a straight up adaptation anymore, uh, and that's why it has to be that it's it's a comedy sort of by accident. And if you look at what's going on, it is kind of comedic, right? Oh, it, it it's almost it is it is. There's an undertone in there of funny. Yeah, well, right, right. The, 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 the scene that you mentioned before, when uh, Cairo comes to the office and tries to stick Sam up, he oh, yeah. gets disarmed, and then. As soon as he gets the gun back, he sticks them up again. Right. And, the, and it's just <laughs> yeah. like, oh, my God. Second like, time's the charm. Right? Exactly. And, and, the, and lines like, you, you'll forgive me, but I, but I, it's not good for me to be alone with you. Like, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, poor Joel Cairo. Really <laughs> sorry he, for he him by the end. He gets He's beat like, up, knocked out. It's just like he gets no respect in this movie. Right. And, yeah. and, 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 the look, and the look when uh, when they're discussing, oh, Okay, we can't give up give off Wilmer and then Sense Space. Oh, we can give up Kyra. And it's like, no, no, no. It's like, well, we give up you. It's like, uh, I, I feel bad for Joel. It's like, it's yeah. no respect anywhere. Yeah. It, yeah. And it, yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, I, I just think it's really striking how, you know, when they're replicating uh, that relationship, it works again and again and again because it it probably does have some you know these types. You know Humphrey Bogart is himself so much no matter what he's in. In uh, in the book, it, you've noticed like a lot of lines. It, it'll it actually say spade and the next word in in the next sentence is or the next word, 
in this in that sentence is made <laughs> right spade made a cigarette mm. right um oh. that doesn't show up in the film um the the choice of name uh you know doesn't isn't affected by you know descriptions like that however if if you think about um there's a great great audio drama series that humphrey bogart made with his wife yes uh, ingrid bergman yeah, no, where they were no, detectives, wasn't it? Lauren McCall. Uh, Lauren McCall. There we go. Uh, how did yeah. I get Ingrid Bergman? Um, Movie we Casablanca. Been... Right, right. Okay. Um, Lauren McCall is uh, in this kind of remake of the situation you have in Casablanca. He mm-hmm. owns a bar. He has right. a boat. He's always. He's not a detective, but he's always. You know, getting police visits well, and to have and have not that movie. That's uh, what they're I haven't thinking. seen that actually. <laughs> that's got that's the first movie she ever did with him, oh, and that's the you know you know how to whistle, don't you? You put your uh, lips together okay. and blow. Right. It's got that line. Um, yeah. So the no, character in that in that um, in that audio drama series or radio drama series, his name is uh, Shannon. Is his last name, but his first name is almost. I'm trying to remember it now. It's almost the same as Spade. Um, so they're recreating that atmosphere, and there is even a, a character um, on the show on the uh, radio drama who plays the piano and sings songs. <laughs> right. I only listened to one, and I mind the one I listened to didn't have that, but it was great. Yeah. So, so would this be Bold Venture? Bold Venture. Yes. <laughs> I know it's well, funny when you look at this. Up. When you look at those old radio shows, and you'll find that there would be series of them where it's like Jimmy Stewart recreating his role as this, and you're just like, I thought they were too big for that. But that's when they were still paying attention to radio. It was still viable yeah. as you know an entertainment medium as against TV and the movies. So it's just kind of an interesting little time capsule that you'll find out there. Yeah, I, I think also you can't under underplay. Oh, his name is Slate. Slate. Slate Shannon. Slate Shannon. And then her name um, is Sailor. <laughs> That's her first name, Sailor Duval. <laughs> that sounds very exotic. And, and uh, it's not Sam. It's King Moses uh, who plays the calypso music uh, on the piano. Sounds like they're in the Caribbean. It, yeah, it's it's set in Havana, um, okay. and so it's oh, got that sort of even better. It, that's what I'm saying is it's it's kind of like uh, recreating. They love how much it works, right? These guys aren't playing against type; they're playing to their type. Well, and there's some stories that just work. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, the sidekick, the the unapproachable guy who's got the heart of gold. You know, he's world weary, but we love him. Yeah. And we like to see Sydney Greenstreet and Peter Laurie together on screen, right? right? It, yeah, it's a magic it just combination. Works. It is an absolutely magic combination. And I'm not a guy who normally talks about character at all, right? I don't think character is <laughs> very important. I, I'm more ideas, but um, I think when they they're used to that great effect in in a story like this, it which is full of ideas, um, but it's the the ideas are demonstrated rather than you know. Uh, the way they do it in science fiction, where you got the info dump and then the the implications come right. later on, and you're like, aha, right? 
Well, and Hammett's like that. I mean, he's a very, for all the description of people, when it comes to story, he's very lean. He leaves you to put it together. And I was mm-hmm. struck by the point you said about he doesn't put us in his head. They'll say things like he came back at, you know, two in the morning or whatever and sat by the side of his bed and mm-hmm. for an hour and thought and smoked cigarettes and drank. Then he turned to the light out and went to bed. Right. <laughs> You're just like, what was he, what was going on in his head? Yep. You know, because we don't get to know. And um, later, we're going to do Red Harvest, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's got the Continental Op, and he's even leaner than, uh, and, and the situation is insane, but um, than this. But you'll see that again. Hammett is just, he's one of those writers, even if you don't like what he's writing about, it's his style is amazing. And that's why I was saying he's so different from Chandler. He's super smart. You you can tell, you know, he doesn't put genius into the characters as much as he puts it into manipulating us super effectively. And his his own life story, if you guys read his Wikipedia entry, um, he's one of those few, <laughs> few writers who, you know, like Poe or Lovecraft, who people make movies about his life. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a, a movie called Hammett, which I have not seen, um, which is sort of t- putting him into a situation like is in his books. But I, I believe, as you know, how how couldn't you become cynical about that, right? Yeah. Um, right, and then his relationship with Lillian um, Hellman, yeah, Hellman, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then know, and the, the other thing, American though, activities, and they right. throwing him in jail, make him clean toilets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know this. <laughs> a veteran of two world wars um, thrown in jail as un-American right? yeah. I think you're a communist we better check this out you might have well, reason to be cynical if you right <laughs> on every side I can well so and then though the interesting thing to me also is that you know he's writing these things and he wrote the thin man and then he keeps writing them and then he's writing the radio dramas for them mm-hmm. you know, there was a series wasn't there that he's writing all of them and That's, making uh, adventures of Sam Spade yeah um. Yeah, and I thought he did. He went on with the, maybe that's why he went on. He went wrote some of the other Thin Man movies, and you know, it's just interesting combination because he's not as simple as we'd like to pin him down to. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, nobody is. Nope. Certainly not Sam Spade. <laughs> Sorry if. Uh guys want to say anything now's your chance <laughs> julie and i are sort of sorry talking talking everybody's space away well i had something to say that's not related to the book at all but mm-hmm. but but humphrey bogart and um and lauren bacall did you know mm-hmm. that rat pack the original rat pack was lauren bacall when she saw humphrey bogart come home one day <laughs> and she called his friends the Rat Pack, and that's where it started. Ah, oh. Carol Flynn, Ava Gardner, Nat King Cole, Robert Mitchum, Elizabeth Taylor, Janet Leigh, that group of people. It's quite a pack. It is a pack. Um, yeah, so she said something. What She said um, she, they call her the, the den mother, and yeah, and huh. that, that was it. Oh, no, she called, yeah, humbly, what, yeah. There we go. I think I need to I watch more Lauren Bacall Bogart movies. Uh, yeah, that that that's that's a good to do list for anybody. Yeah, um, to have and have not is the one uh, you're saying I should mm-hmm. check out. Yeah, right. sounds. Yeah, cool. it's their first movie together. 
And she's so young, but she has such presence, you know. She she is so. Um, yeah, that's the one set in the Caribbean, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. She's, okay. She's wise boat. be a hundred years, I guess, is the idea, right? Is that that's how we take her on film? She's super young, but she's oh. got a deep voice, and she's got uh, sort of an intelligence. She's very self possessed. Yeah, really self possessed. The match and, for any man, really. Yeah. I mean, just in herself. Yeah, like yeah. you say. I I mean, I don't know anything about her her own personal life i'm just saying like on film and in the audio drama you know like she's she is uh, a match for the biggest movie star uh, of the period right Humphrey bogart yeah there's a podcast i don't know if you guys have listened to it called you must remember this i have and, listened to some of it okay some of um it. during her first season she was just kind of hitting all these different targets and she had a two-parter on Bogey and Bacall, and then Bacall after Bogey. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was Bogey before Bacall and, Bacall and Bacall after Bogey, but of course she necessarily covers their relationship. And I did listen to that, and I came away with nothing but respect for her. She's, I mean, and this lady is very even-handed, and she doesn't worry about, you know, labeling people. She just says, well, here's how it was, mm. histor- history style. And uh, she tells a good story and all that, but Lauren Bacall, I mean, I just respected her more than ever there's a great picture of her on the wikipedia entry uh sitting on top of a piano (laughs) (laughs) and truman (laughs) is at the piano wow uh, so 1945 (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah that's amazing all right i think we're done unless paul had something to add Nope. No trivia. Um, trivia. Um. Well, I do. I. I do know that uh, Bogart got together with uh, Bacall uh, because he asked Peter Laurie for uh, advice, dating advice, basically. And Peter mm-hmm. Laurie, Peter, Peter Laurie said it's better to have five good years with somebody than zero. So mm-hmm. interesting. He's so another he, really wise, uh, wise guy. So you basically well, like, get, get encouraged the relationship. Yeah, because Bogart was so unhappy with his wife anyway. Um, yeah. And I'm sure he was thinking that over and the fact that there was such an age difference, you know. Hmm. Well, and that's why I hesitated, but Peter Laurie said right. it's have five good years and nothing. So, I mean, Peter Laurie had his own problems with his own relationships in his own life. So <laughs> he was – it's just like the, 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 the voice of experience, as it were. It's like, right. go for it. Go for it, you idiot. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Come on. (laughs) Give it up. Let's give it up. Here, I was going to save that question for the... No. I'll just go back to Ivanhoe. Oh, Ivanhoe. Which you told me I would like, and I know you talked about it, and I am enjoying it because I'm being forced to read it for my book club. And oh, um, you'll love it. I'm listening to B.J. Harrison read it, and it's like cr- I'm on crack. I can't ah, quit. It's, it's really so great. Good. I'm like, I knew that Palmyra was Robin Hood. I knew it. It hasn't been revealed yet, but I knew it. <laughs> so I'm getting into it. It's it's really terrific. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, sorry. Novel. As we as as you were, as, as we all were. New uh, Zealand. Paul, were you uh, in Ivanhoe show? No, I was not. Okay, that might be must be pre. Uh, Paul. That might be before before my era. Yes, Paul. <laughs> the era. Well, 
Well, I recently listened to Treasure Island read by, oh my gosh, who's that actor who read it, who was amazing. He was Doc Ock in Alfred Molina. Mm, yeah, oh, really? That's it's, yeah. He, he, he sounds a good choice. He'd be a good pirate. Oh, he was amazing, and he was just. And I was listening to it, going, you know, all I remembered was the beginning and the black spot, and I. So I was carried through it as if I were a young child. I was just like, what twist? Twist again? Oh, RLS, you amazing man. So then I had to find something to kind of go along with it. And I was like, well, I don't know how Ivanhoe will do, but it seems like kind of. The same kind of just adventure. Here we go. Yep. And now I get the Normans versus Saxons and a fool making great remarks. So, yeah, there it's you go. got a lot of good. It's it, it may be one of the best novels of the last thousand years. Oh, no. Whoa. Well, yeah, they, 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 that's a sweeping statement. Sure is. I said one of, not the. But, but still, still yeah, that's, that's a lot of novels in the last thousand years. I, I, I've read a lot of novels, man. I've rarely heard people say that about Ivanhoe. In fact, one of the things I was looking up while I was waiting for us to get going was, what did other people think of it? You know, so um, hadn't gotten there yet. But now I have the Jesse guarantee. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get started. Okay. Uh, Everybody know where they are. I know Julie's last because she always argues that she's not. Therefore, she must be. No, she is not last. Okay, never mind then. The last uh, shall come first, and the first shall come last. Jesse would have to go it's gotta, last. It's got to be Paul, and then Jesse. No, no, wait. Jesse, Paul, <laughs> M- Misa. Julie, Misa. Okay. okay. All right. Everybody knows their place, right? Yeah. Okay. We hope we do. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to try. <laughs>